podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, how often are you wrong versus how often are those fancy number ranking things that you do wrong? And where do you where do you take ownership of the blame of being wrong? <laughs> uh, I just always uh, write it off to the fact that I um, say a lot of words and therefore am wrong a lot. I don't ever have to actually count them up. Uh, so I, I take so I take responsibility for nothing basically. When something aberrant or strange happens in the S and P plus, you tend to bear the brunt of that. <laughs> yeah. The uh, prime example: Notre Dame's strange ranking this year, four and eight S and P. Right. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of years past. Iowa, obviously, their Rose Bowl yep. season. They very much just. Dis- disliked you so Iowa, Iowa and Houston both in 2015 but I still don't say ah, I, was, Houston. I, was, I still don't say I was wrong about that Houston the the, the for those of you who haven't listened for a while we haven't touched on this, touched on this in at least I don't know a couple months everyone enjoyed covering Houston during the like the Tom Herman affair right almost everybody open access for reporters like myself they were super interesting to watch if you were a casual viewer and you had no vested interest right then if you were like a Texas fan or an LSU fan, everyone was watching because it might be your next head coach. But there were like 15 Twitter fans that just ruined the whole damn thing. <laughs> Awful. I mean, I, I, I don't know them by name. I wouldn't name them by name if I did. But I just remember every time you wanted to extend this goodwill, because Houston was so friendly for us in the media, and they were it, it was refreshing. It was a G5, kind of like this... Like, you crossed all the fun wackiness of Texas, the state of Texas, with the Boise State upstart, kind of that whole usurper thing that we talk about. And then, like, 15, like, mealy-mouthed, well-actually Twitter accounts from the Houston, I don't know, Cougar Mafia. I think they had a name for themselves. H-Town something. I don't know. They were awful. You don't let those people ruin it for you. That's why you stay off the Twitters, Okay. Bill, uh, before I do the rigmarole, did you vote for a college football governor in our um, de facto poll yesterday? Uh, no, I was too busy trying to piece together UAB's roster from scratch. Um, so that that was that occupied a, a much longer portion of my afternoon than yesterday. Because A, I wrote a, a UAB preview today, and it made me very happy. And B, UAB's roster has, noth- has no years of eligibility listed. So I just kind of had to... I, I just kind of had to wing it a little bit. I'm pretty sure I got half the years of eligibility wrong. But regardless, no, I did not. I did not partake in the re, in, in the fun looking exercise. I was um, trying to figure out if if recruit X was a junior or a senior. As we record, that's gone up over Destination. Please go over there into the comments section and vote for a. I mean, it was inspired by Tommy Tuberville, former Cincinnati and Auburn head coach, um, kind of testing the waters for a gubernatorial run in the state of Alabama. Uh, but I. Made my vote. I, I voted for two individuals for one specific reason. You can go read why um, or just look at my Twitter because I think I plugged it there. But go in there. Vote for somebody. You can add us with something that's particularly interesting if you think someone would be really, really good or really, really bad in the governor's office. Um, before we get much further down the hole, because I started this off with a theme that I've already deviated from. Let me do the read. Uh, this is a podcast named Play Nobody. This is your college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot, Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall, and he's the author. Is it still forthcoming? It's out, right? Uh, well, well uh, it, it has been mailed out to Kickstarter backers and to people who randomly 
managed to sneak in and get it from Amazon for like the two days before Amazon correctly uh, put it as pre-order. So now it is back into pre-order stage. Uh, March 7th is when it will officially be re- uh, available. Okay. Um, we really got to work on your PR. He is the author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. My name is Stephen Godfrey. The most productive thing I've done this week is stand in an alley and scream at a Comcast representative who is on a ladder. Bill, you get criticized a lot for being wrong because you have the boldness, the audacity of hope, the joie de vivre to put not only your opinion out there in the college football world, which is not much. I think throwing your opinion about sports into the greater abyss of the internet is much like peeing into a communal trough at a sports stadium. But you invented analytics that you continually refine to try and improve. Yes. And you bear the brunt of that. Um, Back in the summer, I started to notice that people like yourself, but not really so much, more people like your Phil Steels of the world. Um, By the way, as I speak, I did not throw the Phil Steels away. If you're a long-time listener, I have a clean new office in my newly um, renovated home, and I have a stack of nine Phil Steels going back nine years. Uh, Currently... Um, some other books are resting on top of that, and then a PlayStation 4. So, really organized. Phil is wrong a lot, Bill. Kind of, like, wrong, wrong. But he's boldly wrong. Exactly. And, you, and that kind of counts for You tend not to want to make the, the hot take click grab declarations. I should. I really... You it, should, it, yes. It, but it, you it couch a lot of your stuff in, hey, it looks like this might happen. There's a strong I, indicator here. Everything is with reserve, with a certain analysis, with a certain uh, hesitation because of the X factor, uh, because of the unpredictability, because of the weird, the weird, bizarre, godlike mathematical logic that's inside of the numbers in college football. Because strange things happen. It's an en bloc ball, right? It is you a, know, it's, it is it's 19 year old. It is a sport full of randomness. Yes, I have this allergy to to getting this to being wrong because of the same thing twice. Like I, I don't like to be like I, I like to quote unquote learn your lesson and yeah. and except that doesn't really work in a sport full of random randomness. So through the years, every time I've made a prediction that has been you know boldly wrong, like twenty thirteen Auburn not really having any chance of success whatsoever, stuff like that, uh, it, it goes into the <clears throat> it goes into the memory bank. Uh, and makes me hedge even more uh, moving forward. So at this point, I mean, I, I've always been a hedger. I hedge like mad this year. Nobody hedges better than I do. The only thing that I haven't really hedged about it so far in the preview series is how stupid the circumstances were that led to UAB discontinuing and then almost immediately trying to take back its decision to discontinue football. I'm really, I'm really interested in this concept of learning from your mistakes. Uh, perhaps I'll broach this one day. Bill, this is a long lead-in. I made a time capsule because as a capital J, fancy fedora with the little press thing in it, important journalist, I don't make predictions. I avoid the hot take. I may say things on here that are rooted entirely in personal opinion that just come from observations and frustrations of covering the sport. But no one at the snbnation.com factory ever asked me to throw out a this is going to happen and here's why take unless it is on on multiple backs of opinions of reportage of 
of things I know from being a, a capital R reporter in this industry. Okay? I enjoy that. I think there's probably not enough of that where I'm just not screaming into the void to try and generate some sort of argument in a social media platform. Now that I've thoroughly injured my shoulder patting myself on the back, I decided to do something stupid back in late August. I made a time capsule. We did it on this show, and then I forgot, which is kind of what you're supposed to do. So back in like late August, early September, I think it was, I want to say maybe it was the week before the season started. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go back and listen. I made a time capsule. I made 10 statements, predictions, okay? Some of them were kind of stupid because as I look at a couple of them, there's no way to really gauge if that actually has happened. Okay, doesn't matter. Let's see if I was right. Let's see if I was wrong. Now, I want to say this. I was serious about the 10 statements. After the 10 statements, Bill, I also did another thing. I made new coaches at new schools. This was for funsies, okay? Also, I got every single one of them wrong. But I'm not I'm not retroactively pulling their uh, their validity. But it was to I was making a lot of bold strokes. All you right, got, there was one I see on here that you really did almost get. Okay, um, and we'll We're, talk about let's that. do. And by the way, these yeah. lists are these lists are are brilliant to make because you really only have to get one right. Like I think it was yeah yeah it was back in 2013. I made a list for I think it was at study hall just of like things that were you know. Things that we're not talking about that could that isn't you know that aren't that unrealistic. Um, yes. Like you know I, I don't remember the examples like Texas winning the Big Twelve and Michigan winning the Big Ten and those basically like <clears throat> the top ten I came up with it was I was like one and a half for ten but in the honorable mention section I just casually mentioned uh, one possibility uh, Jameis Winston wins the Heisman. Yeah. Um, that one happened and I got more credit for that stupid, uh, almost entirely incorrect post than I do most of the time that I actually get things mostly right. So what, yeah, you only have to nail one or two here and you're golden. What we're explaining right now is how talk radio works. True. Very true. Um, you can shout back out into the echo chamber when you're right. And then you can also just dump more opinion in when you're wrong. It's like when chewing gum loses its flavor, you don't spit it out. You just chew more gum. If you're nine, um, which is also blah, 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 metaphor, talk radio listener. Okay. You ready? Let's go. You can grade these, and I want portions of a point if you feel like I deserve them. All right? Okay. Number one, Kansas will win at least three games. Nope. Really close. Really, really close. Nope. Okay, zero points. I would like just – I don't – you know what? A tenth of a point, maybe, only because of the missed field goal against nope. TCU. Nope. Against They had TCU beat in Lawrence. Yeah, but then Texas also had to bumble around and screw up like 17 things for them to win that Yes, game, but so. look, there's, there's a certain... Yeah, we full credit for wins. We applaud no. the veracity. We <laughs> applaud the veracity of the Jayhawks. We, we, if, you, if, it, if you stumble against KU, that's your own fault. Of a future in politics. Number two. Zero points. Number two. USS Willie Taggart will take a good Power Five job. I'm not going to say that was the boldest take on this list, but yes. One point. One, one, one point. Nailed it. Number three. Lane Kiffin will become a head coach. Also not a full, not a bold, a bold claim, but a full point. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is incredibly stupid. I was trying to be smart. 
Um, and I don't even know if we can grade this. Number four, no huddle pro set is the next spread option. We'll earn a stupid name like Speed Smash or something stupid. <laughs> stupid twice is really what made um, that I don't know if we... This this is probably a prediction for like a three-year span. I think in certain circles this is still evolving. I know it is from talking to coaches. I, I would not give myself a point here, Bill, because it did not... It did not bubble up into the, like, onto that surface level of, of basic football consumer on television, hearing it over and over, the way Spread did. Right. The way Zone <laughs> Read did. In a way, this one had already had already kind of happened just because Alabama was dabbling in it. And that's the surest sign. Like, you know, when I wrote, a, I, I wrote about Bayern Munich a couple of years ago, and, and it talked about how, like, you know, they would basically let all these smaller clubs figure out. Uh, a new style or whatever, a new way of playing and different adjustments to make. And then they would just absorb it into their uh, universe and be better than everybody at it. Um, And Alabama had already kind of done that here. I will say you probably should get a half point for speed smash. Thank you. I feel feel like that should still be a thing that we talk about. Two and a half. Uh, Number five, the Heisman will continue to celebrate the unexpected. No Fournette, no Watson, no McCaffrey. Point. Point. Yeah. Now, now, yeah. Lamar, I think everybody, all of us kind of had the thought of Lamar being a Heisman guy in like 2017. <laughs> but yeah, it was. You, you, you think back to the list at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it was Fournette. It was McCaffrey. As well. I mean, Watson came close, obviously. He was on that um, other faces to watch paragraph at the bottom of all those right. kind of dumb right. Heisman the, the, watches. The, where people were trying to predict the next Jameis Winston, right? Yes, and, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, t- just to pull back the curtain, we had no idea the electricity with which Louisville would jump out in the first half of that season. And I say that because I talked to um, the AD for communications at Louisville when I was in Texas working on a Charlie Strong piece. He was like, hey, do you want to get up here? You know, we, we kind of cajoling me. Like, we think we've got something special. You know, Bobby Petrino's a change man. I don't know about that. Uh, and that was late August. And um, when Sports Illustrated did their cover piece, they didn't see that coming because it was the same time. I think Andy Staples has told this story. It's the same time that like games like Alabama Ole Miss were going on, and a lot of people had to scramble in the wake of that Florida State win to get Lamar the uh, the attention he deserved. So um, he was known. Because if you go back and look, I think you see flashes of it in the Texas A&M Bowl. They played in the Music yeah, City Bowl. he was Bowl. great. He was yeah. great. And, and um, the last couple of games of the year, he was great. But he didn't win that job until the very end of the year. Exactly. So there's plenty of reason to be hesitant. It was very much a guy that I'm sure if we dug through our offseason stuff last year, we would say, hey, there, you know, Louisville, something there. But did not quite expect that. Like you said, 2017 was supposed to be Ascension. Number six, um, it's all wrong, but it's so close. Uh, horseshoes and hand grenades. Number six, Greg Byrne will become Florida's next athletic director. Very I'll give fr- you a quarter of a point for this one. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Greg Byrne um, had been rumored for pretty much every job under the sun. He was considered to be the preeminent athletic director free agent. Um, I've written about why Greg Byrne is a great athletic director and also why he fits so well at the school he ended up at, which was Alabama. And it was one of the quietest uh, most well-run searches for an athletic director at a major job uh, ever. It was the antithesis of what Texas does. Hmm. 
Sorry, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. <laughs> You're right. Uh, Florida came close, though. Florida hired uh, Scott Strickland from Mississippi State, who succeeded Byrne uh, in Starkville when Byrne went to Arizona. Um, kind of became his old man in, in Starkville, which is that's a hard place to compete with revenue and fundraising and attention. And, and you know, there's a lot tied to those guys. They share a lot of, of the same philosophies, and so that's why I really – I, I will gladly take a quarter of a point here. Um, and also, from what we know, Byrne and Florida did converse a good bit. But we're not entirely sure the timing of the Alabama, like when the initial, when Byrne was aware of Alabama having any interest at all. So uh, maybe one day we'll find out if anyone still cares. Number seven, I, I may lobby here for another fraction of a point. Les Miles doesn't win the SEC West, but he doesn't get fired. I think do you feel Do you feel like there's too much emphasis on the latter in that statement? He got uh, fired fast. Yeah, the fire the fire part would be the main piece there. The, okay. Not winning the not winning Alabama's division isn't necessarily. Right. Uh, since Fine. I was generous, I will not be generous here. You right. you are not. Right. I, be, I believe three point seven five out of seven. Thank you. All right. Um, number eight. No one on the committee cares about one lost Boise State. Um, now. To grade this, let me throw a couple. <laughs> I think it's a zero out of zero. I think that one just can't. Well, hang on, hang on. Okay, okay. They right. didn't lose until Wyoming. Okay. So they were, let me add it up real fast. One, two, three, four, five, six. They were seven and zero, oh, having just come off of a pretty big win, 28-27 win at home on a Thursday night against BYU. All right. Are rankings out at that point? They are, uh, yes. That's, um, here, I'm trying to... Because if the committee short-sighted an undefeated Boise, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm on to something here. I, I, think it, I think they lost the week before the first rankings. Okay, so let's find out if they cared about a one-loss Boise, because I think that I'm on to something here. Good radio right here. We're both just uh, searching as fast as possible. Boise was was thirteenth in the AP poll at seven and zero. Well, I'm talking about the committee. So I know, but then in week ten, the rankings come out. We've got week nine rankings here. Well, here they're, they've fallen. They lose and they fall all the way to twenty fourth in the AP, and they were also twenty fourth in the playoff committee rankings. Yes. So in that sense, that means they were appropriately ranked. Um, but nobody cared. They, well, of course, nobody cared. They just lost. Seven and one Boise ranked behind at the time. Six and one West Virginia. <clears throat> Six and one Baylor. Yeah. Six and one Florida. How many two lost power conference teams were? Hang there on, hang on. Seven and one Nebraska. Seven and one Louisville. Seven and one Ohio State. Seven and one A and M. Man, A and M was seven and one. That happened. Um, okay. Two right. lost teams. Yeah, North that's Carolina. That's important. They're always going to be behind the one lost teams. North Carolina. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Tech, Okie State, Utah, Colorado, America's team, Oklahoma, LSU, Penn State, Auburn, Wisconsin, and, and three lost Florida State. Oh, I skipped them. Yeah. All right. So, how I do we feel, feel about this? I feel they were completely appropriately ranked here. So, not slided. No. All right. I don't. I mean, they probably would have been about five spots if they had been eight. No, if they had beaten Wyoming, they would have probably been about five spots lower than I would have preferred them to be. 
uh, in the playoff rankings. But at 24th, that pretty much matched the AP. They were one spot behind Western Michigan. And I think, I don't remember for sure, but it, I think they were somewhere in the 20s in S&P as well. So I'm going to just go ahead and remove the, remove the protest here because the, the whole conceit of that statement was that they would go 12-1 and one, and they right. went 10-3. and three. They go 10-3, and three, they become invisible. And they know this. I've written about this multiple times. So they lose at Wyoming. Uh, they win three more games, and then they lose again to Air Force uh, before losing to Baylor in a game that I did not watch. Was that an interesting game? It feels like nah, it should have been. I mean, Baylor showing up was kind of interesting because nobody really expected it with all the turnover and everything. Right. Uh, but otherwise, no. Okay. Um, all right. I'll, I'll rescind it. It's fine. Still at 3.75. Number nine, New Year's Eve cord-cutting combo. This is this was way too bold. We just flew too close to the sun. The, I'm sorry. The, the, the list that Bill and I are looking at are written in shorthand. Um, the combination of cord-cutting and the New Year's Eve playoff will push ESPN into an autonomous viewing platform. Now, what that means is something that has not happened yet, although we, we keep hearing we're on the precipice of, so I don't get points for this. Um, in fact, I, don't, I wouldn't give myself any points because viewership maintained steady this year in traditional, like the, the uh, Nielsen, the, the traditional way of measuring television sets, cable subscribers to ESPN, their viewer, the viewership of college football was strong, steady. Whereas we, we heard nothing but, you know, the NFL is dying and all this stuff, mainly because there was no digital platform for the NFL to find cord cutters, to find people on mobile. Um, ESPN is still, it, it's still this like white whale rumor in the tech world that they're going to sever ties and not necessarily sever ties. They would still be available if you have like Time Warner or Comcast or charter but they would also have a netflix style service or a uh, hbo now would be the best example hasn't happened yet <clears throat> a lot I'm of people give, a lot of people think it will i'm gonna give you a quarter of a point here for two reasons yeah boy first i like even numbers and four is a lot easier than 3.75 thanks boss um and second uh, because of the rumors, we the, um, we know that they are exploring this idea. Yes. We know that they are are even if the viewership as as traditionally measured didn't fall, we know that ESPN is still losing subscribers overall, and so they are pursuing this. They are looking into this to some degree. It'll still be a ways off, but uh, for those two very important reasons, you are now four for nine. Thank you. Um, quick lobby to see if I can maybe earn another sliver. When I wrote this, we didn't take into consideration the new advent of um, set-top streaming. So ESPN being... So if I don't want to have a cable subscription with the fees and the subscription and the yada yada, but I can go through Sling or View, does that count? No. Okay, fine. You just don't want to change the number. Nope. Number 10! I don't know the answer to this word, but I'm pretty sure it's No. A popular, recognizable player will be lost to a head injury for a major game, pushing CTE conversation from NFL into college. As far as I know, I'm thinking playoff backwards real fast. Do we? I have... don't think. I don't think there was any major, major, major player missing a major game. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were still concussions, but yes, uh... a lot of a lot of players in concussion protocol. But I don't believe that any were. It came down to a game-changing type situation. 
So I'm gonna give. I love, by the way, one of my favorite little things is that part of just common football lingo now is entered concussion protocol. Yeah, it's like like it's a building. Uh, he's <laughs> in the building right now. He'll come back out at some point. We're not sure when, but he'll come back out. Uh, he has entered protocol. He needs uh, like anyway. the DMV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's gonna take him a while in there. Yeah. Um. Okay. What's my total? I believe that makes you four for ten overall. I'm a genius. Three, three straight up plus some fractions. So I got out of college. I'm not kidding. With fractions. With just the skin of my teeth. Um. Okay. Now this was not graded. This was just like I said, home run pulls. <laughs> All I did was whiff. These don't even need context, all right? And I realized someone added us last week when we were doing the UCLA conversation about, oh, Godfrey said last year was trying to push James Franklin to UCLA. What I was saying was <laughs> just in a weird world that these things could happen with the right set of, like, chaos theory bumps, right? Right? Jurassic Park? Anybody? Dr. Malcolm? So the butterfly never flapped its wings the right way for any of this to happen, but it could have without a ton of butterfly flaps. I guess that's what I was getting at. You ready? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go backwards. No, I'll go forwards. No, good. Yeah, let's not, get, let's not confuse ourselves. Georgia Tech head coach Mike Bobo. Now, in my defense, uh, Bobo building a little steam at Colorado State, becoming a really good platform job. See? McElwain, Jim. Um... Georgia Tech kind of not really understanding its own future. And I think also Paul Johnson, love him to death, love love triple option, curmudgeonly is all heck. That's a job that a lot of people in the industry feel like is not properly utilized. Not because Johnson runs a triple option. Let me be super clear there. Because of a kind of a mess of not fundraising right, not marketing right, not utilizing the city of Atlanta, not recruiting right, like a lot of stuff. So, because I hear that a lot, that would prompt me to make a prediction that Tech would clean house, trying to do some bold things. But I talked a little bit about that in the fall, Bill, and then kind of got some blowback from coaches saying, well, it's not Coach Johnson so much as it is you would be worried to step into that situation with the current AD structure, with the current lack of attention inside the Georgia Institute of Technology. Zero points. Zero points. Yes. Came yeah, by the way, by yeah, the, I, by the way uh, Mike Bobo is still in Colorado, at Colorado State, partially because uh, his team kind of stunk for about a month and then caught fire when nobody was looking, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the best way to go because they, they won some games. They finished pretty high in S&P. They laid an egg for about half the, the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl. But um, now you get Bobo for at least another year, uh, and I, I think they're going to be awfully good this year. Anyway. Very much a shortlist candidate for jobs going in eighteen. Like if I had to make a list of five names on people that are moving into the Power Five for jobs at the end of the 17th season, I've got him in that five. Uh, Next one, damn, it came close. LSU head coach Tom Herman. Yeah, for like two days there. Came real close. Yeah, it looked looked like it was happening, and then uh, things got a little weird. Number three, okay, number three is the best one. Okay. (laughs) But look, this, this, okay, I'm just going to say it. Auburn head coach Lane Kiffin. Now look, this came out of a conversation in a bar at media days with other sports writers. It could have happened. It didn't. 
I don't think we ever got, really got that close to it happening. Do but, we? Um, do we want to pause and maybe kind of quickly mourn what might have been, <laughs> or? I, I will say that Lane Kiffin, um, since uh, taking the FAU job, has reminded us all very clearly of why nobody liked Lane Kiffin when he was allowed to speak. Um, and I think he would have absolutely tried to pull this same like second second chance university for assistant coaches kind of structure that he's got going. Yep. Uh, he would have tried that at Auburn too, and he would have probably been allowed to do it. But I'm glad he's doing it at FAU and not a major job. This uh, it's it's been gross, basically. Like for all the fun we had, uh, you know, getting out from under dad, his new dad's uh, shadow and and the, that weird, that strange. Uh, no, it was totally by it was totally intentional that it looked terrible. Uh, yeah, hype video that they did. Like that was entertaining enough, but he's been pretty gross otherwise, and I'm happy that. Are you referring just sort? Of, is this mainly rooted in the Kendall Bryles move? It's mainly rooted. In, not only it, it, it's it's the combination of him hiring Kendall Bryles and him hiring Kendall Bryles, being asked about it by the media, and basically saying something to I don't remember what something to the effect of, "Well, I, I'm not here to make you guys happy" or something like that, as if that was the issue. Uh, making media happy. That's why the whole sexual assault thing was bad because it made media unhappy. Um, that, w- that, that was a little, that, that was a light into uh, the soul, so to speak. And it was not a pleasant uh, experience. And I don't think it'll be the last unpleasant experience we have when he opens his mouth. But anyway, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I mean, I was trying to keep it light. My question about Kiffin is not anything related to football. I'm just trying to figure out when, kind of the navel gazing I I would I would do about USC and the weird preoccupation we had with them, still have with them. I'm curious when, are, are a bunch of my colleagues nationally going to be camping down in Boca once the um, you know once the season gets going and we have real things to talk about? Are people still going to go down and do like Lane Kiffin FAU features when they're you know, three and two or two and three or whatever. Right. I, I don't know. I'm curious. I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and it's going to be interesting to see too where the bar is. Um, like, what does he have to do to get a, a, a power conference head coaching job? I, I mean, I think it's just basically can he not completely implode for two years and he'll get it? I don't know if it's supposed to be interesting right now. I mean, I just said that. I don't know if I would go down there. Like, maybe I, it, it's. I ask, I always ask our listeners to to do things or send things in, but that this is one where I would legitimately be interested. Once you know, if you're a Clemson fan, Michigan State, I don't care, whatever, Washington, and like once once we get going on the real stuff, do you care? I mean, is it still a thing, or is it is was this just a weird sideshow to occupy the negative space between <laughs> football? Yeah, and I'm really I I'm like I like that he has this job too because he really will actually have to prove that he can coach. Um, and and recruit and recruit. and manage right. and 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 not only that but like do all those things uphill because FAU is not really you know um, rich. Yeah, they returned talented. They returned a crap ton of of last year's production and what's his name Partridge, the guy before him, didn't recruit terribly. So he he'll have a little bit to work with there. But in his best moments, 
as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach, they were all because he had vastly superior talent over the opposition. Right. And and as things currently stand, at least, FAU's not going to have vastly superior talent over the rest of Conference USA. It might be a little bit superior in, in a lot of games, but he's going to actually have to coach. He's going to have to prove his coaching jobs. Really, his whole career has almost moved perfectly backwards. Uh, it should have been like FAU, then Tennessee, then USC, then the Raiders. Uh, and instead, we we almost uh, went uh, entirely backwards from that. But whatever, um, it'll be I, at some point he'll win. Uh, you know, he'll put together a pretty good record in the next couple of years, and and we'll start paying attention again. Bill, take a note. Uh huh. I'm told occasionally uh, by by coaches and such that if Kiffin stays in Knoxville, even two, even three years, let's say let's say three years, two years is still a little too short. That they get that thing. Quote, they really get that thing going, was the quote I heard. Right. Was told like a, a month or two ago. And I was like, really? Because we remember it as being this weird thing. Everybody in the South, especially in the state I live in, they remember the crazy press conference hijinks and the Ed Ogeron Colin Tennessee recruits in the next room and people spray painting the rock and showing up at their house and all that. But like, a lot of people in the Southeastern Conference, people who were part of that staff or even new people on that staff, that they were doing everything right in terms of recruiting and, and talent development. That if he doesn't have USC dangled in front of him, that he's gonna he's going to build Tennessee into a, a talented, deep contender like a ten, eleven win program. Now that doesn't mean that like this this isn't necessarily a um, fantastic film, a sliding door scenario, but more a. You didn't even think there'd be a Gwyneth Paltrow reference on this show today. Wow. It, it's inevitable he would blow up at some point. Um, I mean, there were, probably would have been some sort of scandal or goofy kind of boozy type thing that happened in Knoxville. It just happened in places like L.A. and Tuscaloosa, and he had a really circuitous route to getting back to head coaching in FAU. I'm not saying things would have been quote-unquote fine for him if he stayed in Knoxville, but there's an alternate history in which Tennessee benefits tremendously from him because right. now the Dooley hire, I think the Dooley hire sets them back a lot more than a single year of having Kiffin and the kind of hiccupy circumstances that surround having a one-year head coach at a power five. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't think he, you know, you mentioned recruiting and development. Obviously, from a recruiting standpoint, he signed one class uh, on short notice and it was top ten. Yeah. Um, they were so, they were gunning in a way that like Tennessee just didn't do going back to like Fulmer vintage, right? So I mean, you, you could certainly make the case that if he's there three years, even if he implodes or doesn't live up to the hype, the next guy that comes in as uh, inherits a roster that is basically completely made of of, of top ten classes. But at the same time, that top 10 class, I just pulled it up. Bryce Brown didn't stay. Uh, Nukees Richardson uh, was not allowed to stay, if I remember correctly. Jansen Jackson was not allowed to stay. Uh, David Oku didn't really... Right, but what? But those were all circumstances that occurred after he was there. But, well, I mean, like David Oku not becoming a star, that, that was, he wasn't going to be a star. Darren Miles for safety, I don't even remember him. I think Jansen um, Jackson was a dual Jansen Jackson ended up being a star at a lower level school, if yeah. I remember right. And, and I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe if Kiffin is is still there, he doesn't. Yes. He, he remains yeah. in Tennessee. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely understand your logic 
I, I'm a little, I have some trepidation because as it, you hear wild and crazy things about the kind of about Kiffin tree all the time from the horse's mouth occasionally, but the you hear just as much about how awful Derek Dooley was in every like non pure football coaching part of being a head coach. And that includes player relations, roster management, and then also walking into that room and kind of just screwing it up with, with the chemistry. We're stuck on this list at, at, at Lane Kiffin. I feel like we're a more popular, more mainstream podcast. Bill, how about Vanderbilt head coach Herb Hand? If I was getting points here, I would lobby. No. Um, only because – no, here's why. Okay. Let me take you back. Let me take you back to um, Thursday, September 1st. thirteen ten, South Carolina. National television Thursday night game over Vanderbilt. Things did not look good. Like, things were bad. Well, but we didn't record, well, before that. I know, no, 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 I know, I know. I'm just saying, there was a, there was a consensus in the small Vanderbilt family of this is not working with Derek Mason. Now, I'm curious. Bill, take a note. Um, is this just a matter of like Stanford? Stanford's construction was done in the West Coast, in the Pac-12, kind of during the USC reign when Harbaugh was there. They got to operate in a much quieter space than you do in the Southeastern Conference. Is that fair to say? Uh, I mean, yes, but Stanford also you know what I'm going to say. Mason hasn't actually done anything yet at Vanderbilt, but anyway, right. go ahead. Okay, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I was gonna, I was, I'll, put, I'll put that qualifier in as well. I was about to. If he does do something at Vanderbilt, any – well, man, we're really falling down the hole here. Doing something at Vanderbilt and doing something at Stanford are two very different things. Doing something right. at Stanford and the Har- and when Harbaugh was there, transferring it over to David Shaw, those are different circumstances because to me the league was inferior to really any time in the Southeastern Conference in the last 15 years. because And the Pac-12 admins and coaches will say that. Before the cash infusion, before Larry Scott, before they, they level up all those mid-jobs, it was USC just trouncing folks, right? Right. And so it was also easier in that vacuum for Stanford to build up something. Same argument has been made by ACC elitists like Bud Elliott on, well, Duke Duke existed in the space in which it did with David Cutcliffe more as an absence of anyone else. Well, that was his big, that's always his, his wake force claim. And he's right. Uh, in 06, they won the ACC, not because they were like top 10 caliber, but because everybody else sucked. And that yeah. is kind of, that is pretty true. Okay. Um, well, anyway, Herb Hand uh, obviously was a kind of de facto OC um, with John Donovan, uh, when Franklin was there, he and Bob Shoup, D.C., at, uh, at Tennessee currently, um, they were the hot names that people wanted. Now, Mason pulls it around in, in, in a way that you talk about Bobo. Nobody noticed what, what Vanderbilt did until, like, Thanksgiving. I mean, uh, when they beat Tennessee, that was pretty much it. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I, I I do... I feel bad for Tech because I, I read one too many in December. I read one too many. Here's how Derek Mason turned it around style articles. Okay. Like, turn, turned it around. They were, they were 68th. The last James Franklin's last team there was 68th. They won nine games, but they were only 68th in S and P. They were kind of mm-hmm. lucky. Um, they immediately plummeted to one tenth in his first year, which whatever, mm-hmm. burn it to the ground. Uh, they were 79th last year and they're 71st this year. 
Um, okay. That's there's there's no turnaround there. Like that's just he's he's finally almost gotten back to where Franklin was. Okay. Um, yeah. But again, I, I I give you without disagreeing with you because I do agree with you. Maybe it's because I can spit and hit campus as of as we record this. It's pretty campus. Yeah, it's lovely. I wouldn't spit on it. Um, they beat Georgia. Regardless of what circumstances going yeah, on in Georgia, yeah, they yeah, beat Georgia. Yeah. They beat Tennessee. They beat Ole Miss. On West End Avenue, that's a big deal. And they lost to Kentucky and Missouri and got crushed by Georgia Tech. I in know, I, but yes, I agree. They timed, they timed the Georgia and Tennessee and, and Ole Miss games, actually, just brilliantly, and they won those games and power to them for that. That's what got them up to 71st, actually. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how much higher his ceiling is there. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point of any of this. The, 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 the point was he, he and you are like taking this fun segment of my I, stupidity I, that's, that's my job. and you are my job. drilling folks. Uh, and by the way, Herb Hand had a lovely year at Auburn, um, with that offensive line. So, um, is a lot better than what he inherited uh, <laughs> at the sanction-riddled PSU, man. Right. I think his his unit, without a doubt, took it publicly the worst than I think anybody. Not took it poorly, I'm sorry, phrasing. Um, they just, they were harangued because it was Hackenberg's final years. They couldn't get any protection on him. They had zero freaking depth. I mean, it was tough. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he had a really good year, and he's friends with Gus, and I think he's a lot happier. Um... Florida head coach Jeff Brom. Bill, help me here. Did I think that McElwain was going to get fired? That doesn't make sense. Uh, I think I... I mean, by the way, this could still happen in 2019. <laughs> was that what I was I, doing? I, I, <laughs> I said Florida head coach Jeff Brom. Was it like the Will Greer PED? Did I think there was going to be some sort of like sweeping controversy? Oh, I am struggling to remember what the possible... I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, how about I just, instead of trying to break that down with any kind of edge, like, that one could still happen. (laughs) Talk to me in 2019. You you got the part of Braum moving up to the Power Five, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, UCLA head coach James Franklin. um, Man, did perception on James Franklin change in a year. And And UCLA, for that matter. I guess. Um, Fresno State head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Mm. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. So many interesting things there. Minnesota head coach Al Golden. I feel like I was close here. <laughs> I mean, that one just felt like a Minnesota Didn't hire. Instead they, had to, instead, they had to go out and, and get all glamorous. Yeah. And do something young, promising, and smart. Um, not sure where I was going. I See, as we get to the end of this, I feel like I'm screwing around. Baylor head coach Dana Holgerson. Was you I know? screwing around? Well, you were big into the Holgerson's in trouble at West Virginia thing. I, hey, man, it, what, that wasn't me. That was everyone. And also kind of Holgerson himself. <laughs> I'm just saying. So that's I can I can I can trace the logic on this one that, that you, I guess, were assuming he was going to get run out. Baylor wasn't going to be I able had- to hire anybody particularly like I had a conversation great. with the man himself at AFCA and it was the the short version of what the the TLDR edited for public consumption version was he was like cool hand Luke about the 
last year's job stuff. I'll put it that way, okay? He knew it was coming. He stared it down. Still might get fired soon. Uh, last one on this list. They, they, they lose a lot this year. Anyway, last one on this list um, would probably be governor before this would happen. But West Virginia head coach Red, Rich Rodriguez. You know, Rich is on the hot seat. Uh, love him to death. You want to be around a coach off the record? You want to be around that coach. But um, <laughs> problem is, Greg Byrne, as we mentioned, not at Arizona anymore. Um, Rich Rod, really bad sixteen. I mean. I, maybe I'm just the one who's who's so interested in schools like Arizona and Arizona specifically, and sort of the whole fleshing out of the Pac Pac-12 and, and getting depth there. Is Arizona the Pac-12's NC State? Huh. I mean, yeah, kind of. Um, always good, never best, kind of, or you uh, frequently good and never best. Yeah, you want to talk about a negative trend here? Here's um, last four years under Rich Rod for Arizona: twenty fourth, thirty sixth, seventy seventh, ninety sixth. That is um, ain't no good, bro. Good. the The defense improved a little bit this year, but then the offense cratered. Uh, so yeah, he's got an, an interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what they're going to be capable of this year. They do return a decent amount, but um, the that the whole Holgorsen leaving West Virginia and being replaced, and maybe Rich Rod being available to replace that part could happen a year from now for sure. Uh, Bill, you wrote about UAB. Is there anyone else that you've written about since our last show that you want to touch on now? Because we also have a couple of reader questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I finished the Sun Belt. We are 13. When the UAB preview goes up. Bill, I, who's your uh, take? Who's your take? Who's going to win the Sun Belt this year? Bill Connolly hasn't been Asian. <laughs> well, I, 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 this isn't really a hedge so much as I called Troy the best team in the conference. Uh, and then noted that Appalachian State's uh, schedule almost literally could not be easier, and they have to be considered the favorites. They do not play Troy. They do not play Arkansas State. Uh, okay. They, I believe, get Georgia Southern at home. Okay. They, it's, uh, they are in the clear. They will have to blow probably two games to lose the title. Um, so yes, Appalachian State is your Sun Belt favorite. Troy could contend if Appalachian State... Uh, Stumbles. We feeling, are we, State are we feeling salty about either one of them becoming a kind of a G five attention getter, or is it just we're going to win our conference? Uh, well, I mean Troy, I think you know they've got a very good chance to um, to get attention. I mean, number one, they could they they could win the t- conference. They just uh, they're going to have to do, uh, maneuver through a tougher schedule than App, uh, App State has. But they also get Georgia and Wake Forest in non-conference play, and they get Georgia first week, which is probably when you want to get. Georgia I mean, look at it, this App schedule. Uh, this could be a thing. Yeah. Real quick. App schedule at at Georgia week one, and not one of those. Oh yeah, sorry, I was sorry, I was getting my teams confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Uh, apps non conference at Georgia week one, home against Savannah State week four. They go to Wake Saturday, October twenty eighth. They go to UMass. Uh, ooh. you scare Georgia, you're staring at um making something happen. Yeah, I was yeah, I, I got them turned around. But Georgia and Wake Forest uh, play App State. Um, that's really the only thing left. I called them basically a twelve seed. They, they're a twelve seed in the NCAA tournament. That uh, inevitably on on uh, on a re- reasonably frequent amount of time they beat the five seed. I don't know what uh, they could. They could very much um, 
scare Georgia. Or, I mean, like I said, that's when you want to play Georgia. They could beat Georgia uh, early on in the season. They could absolutely beat Georgia. Probably won't, but could. By the way. Uh, Should be Wake Forest. That road schedule and conference play, this is, what's the toughest? I mean. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This could happen. Yeah, they their road games are against uh, Georgia State. Worst teams, are, yeah, Georgia State, Idaho, uh, Texas State, and Louisiana Monroe. Those are the road yeah, games. Yeah, Texas State and Texas State and ULM are the worst two teams in the conference, most likely to start the season. Georgia State could be. I mean, they're kind of a wild card. Idaho's kind of a wild card. It kind of depends on their depth is extremely perilous. But if they kind of avoid injuries for the most part, they could be pretty good. Um, but that's. That's almost as easy as you could hope for. Flip like Idaho and New Mexico State, and it would be the easiest possible Sun Belt slate right there. Uh, and like I said, they get Georgia Southern at home, and they don't play a, a good number of the other good teams in the conference. So if, if they were to beat either Georgia or Wake Forest, they really are staring at 11-1 uh, potentially. And then on Troy, I was getting there. I was getting the breakthrough opportunities confused. They play at Boise State the first week, uh, which is also – I. I'm guessing Boise wins, but I'm not. That's they. That that'll be tricky, because uh, Troy could be really, really solid too. Those are the two most solid teams. Arkansas State has this weird little niche now where they um, just tinker in September, lose a couple games, get crushed a couple games, uh, and then suddenly they're good in October. Uh, so that it's it's kind of hard to make a national impression when you do that. But Troy and or Appalachian State could make a national impression in September. The University of Alabama at Birmingham. If you cut one head off, two will rise in it. No, not really. But they got a practice facility now, and they got a football facility now. So suck it, Alabama. Yeah, this is somehow like all they had to do to actually have a future was to was to off themselves, and um, <laughs> it's it's been the weirdest damn thing. And I, I think it will benefit them long term. Everything that's happened over the last two years, losing your program, going crap. What did we just do? Bringing it back. And, fi- and, and through that process, finding out that there is actually support for the program uh, and then being able to get that facility on campus, maybe build a stadium on campus at some point yeah, here in the next few years. I, that's still going to be tricky, but they it's 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 less unrealistic now than it was three years ago. I think because of all the politics involved, Bill, and because of the dynamics behind the scenes and just to catch everybody up real fast, it's it's basically that the University of Alabama is part of the University of Alabama system, um, which includes the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. Um, there's a board that oversees the entire system. This is the Medical Center, University of Alabama at Huntsville, et cetera. Um, they, most of the people in power there, long time, I mean, Paul Bryant Jr., that, that's a name to know. Um, <laughs> Most of those people, there's a man named Finnis St. John, who's a very, very rich litigator in Alabama. They, for whatever reasons, some perceived slights that go back years, a a UAB basketball coach insulting uh, Bear Bryant, that's one theory. Um, All this kind of backdoor politics. For whatever reason, in the strangest way possible, one of the single most powerful entities in college sports was obsessed with holding down a... I mean, a mom-and-pop store? Is that the metaphor, Bill? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, th- this was a program that UAB has had a lot, of su- a lot of success in basketball relative to their size and their resources. They knocked off Kentucky out of the tournament one year. I remember that. I was in college. Um, the UAB football program has always been scrappy. They play at Legion Field, which is literally falling apart. That's not just an internet Which is literally joke. scrappy, yes. Yeah, that's beyond scrappy. Um, it's funny, just... 
we rail against the construction of new athletic facility or new stadiums at the pro level because of the ta- the, the taxpayer implications, right? We mm-hmm. kind of grit our teeth when we see the um, kind of the glass and steel shrines being built at the SEC level when the kids aren't even being paid for anything, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like the new Texas A&M Stadium or Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge getting another renovation amidst you know one of the worst fiscal eras in in for, for state funding in Louisiana. And really, I guess, and I'm not a I'm not an Alabama resident or Birmingham taxpayer. In terms of a stadium construction, this is one of the most feel good stories that you could do in a facilities way. If they get this stadium, it's going to change the entire program for the for the better. It's going to attract people that are that are near the UAB campus. It's going to attract people in Birmingham. They're going to be able to draw in better non conference teams, and it's going to turn them into the one thing that I think Alabama was worried about. Although there is really no scenario in which UAB is any kind of successful that should bother Alabama. I, you know, the whole thing was stupid and myopic, and you know, a massive illustration of what true Southern ego is about. But I mean, they're not going to be. When is this team going to be six and six? Twenty twenty? No, I don't think it'll take. Well, it's it's really kind of weird because I mean he he really he loaded up on JUCOs. He's not trying to take the long route anymore. And I guess really, if you go almost three years without coaching a game, you want to kind of hit the ground running. He being Bill uh, he, uh, Bill he, Clark, the head coach. Bill Clark, yeah. They have so many juniors on their team. This year and and um, a few seniors, a couple guys from the from the 2014 UAB squad or a few of them actually kind of came back, which is I, I have no idea how that works from an eligibility standpoint, but whatever, um, <clears throat> you know, they actually could have a strong de- a, a strong ish defense this year. I can't really talk myself into the offense all that much. But regardless, they are going to be loaded with juniors. They could actually have a very senior-heavy uh, lineup that it can do some damage in 2018. The problem is, even if that happens, they're going to be starting right back over in 2019. And, and so, like, the process of balancing out the classes over these next few years, even if Clark stays and, and recruits pretty well, it is going to be, like, super experienced one year, not the next. Uh, you know, he'll probably have to continue taking on a certain number of transfers so that he's not suddenly reliant on all redshirt freshmen. Um, and so that's going to be a really, really tricky thing. But because of the steps he's taken, they might actually be pretty decent by 2018. Okay. So bullish, maybe 2019. Uh, yeah, we could say, and, and then starting over and then trying to build again. But yeah, they, they could absolutely. If uh, you pair that with the promise of a 35,000-seat, modest but inviting stadium on campus in a different part of the city, then that's going to be absolutely tremendous for this program. Yes. And maybe you try and bulk it up a little more. I don't know. Again, I'm getting into a level of politics in Birmingham I'm not versed in, but... If you go a little bit bigger on the stadium, you're able to host a bowl inside of it. Maybe that makes it more appealing. I don't know. Um, I do know that they're going to have to kind of schedule their way out of this mess, and it's very difficult. They are taking paycheck games the way Sunbelt teams have to take paycheck games for obvious reasons. So that means going to Florida this year, going to A&M next year, going to Tennessee in 19, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, It's not that other CUSA schools don't do that. It's just that they have to rebuild the coffer in a certain way. I, what is cool to see is that they have Alabama A&M on the schedule. Um, yeah. That makes sense for everybody involved. They just struck a deal, which makes, to me, 
this is the kind of stuff when I when I get on my weird soapbox about like why Louisiana Tech and Louisiana Monroe can't work out their problems to make money for both schools and the community. UAB is going to play South Alabama in a two-game series. To me, that should be an annual series. Just yep. makes sense. Makes total sense for everybody involved. Until you get to dumb, granular, ego-driven local politics, which is how college football is run. Is this going to be a team in any way, shape, or form worth watching this year for anything other than the sideshow of, hey, a team came back from the dead? Yeah. Um, they should be able to attack pretty well on defense. They're going to try. I mean, they're running a spread. They're, they have a ton of junior receivers. Uh, they're going to try to spread the ball out and move real fast and, and put the ball in the hands of about 18 different guys. And um, in theory, they could – really, they, they, I think that you mentioned South Alabama, and it's kind of funny because South Alabama kind of kept itself afloat for a couple of years with UAB transfers. Uh, but they really – this team kind of strikes me like that first South Alabama team that bowled, the one where you know they went to the bowl uh, in, in Montgomery and Joey Jones gets kicked in the face and all that. Um, that team had, could pull off a couple big offensive plays a game, but otherwise wasn't very good offensively. Had a sturdy defense that could compete, and that's kind of what I see here. Yeah. Um, that's not that's not an aesthetically pleasing team. Typically, if we if we're watching a small school game, we want it to be forty nine forty five, and that's not going to be UAB football in twenty seventeen. But it it could be it could be heart you know to use a, a ridiculous term it could be kind of heartwarming to see this team come back and actually be competitive out of the gates and that maybe that's a reason enough to watch. If you're looking for a team to root for, um, I, you'd be hard pressed not to root for this one. Yeah, Bill Clark stayed. That's that's amazing. I, I mean, that's dude. the most amazing thing, and I I I, I hope that ridiculous gamble that he probably shouldn't have taken actually pays off. I think it might. Absolutely amazing. Um, Bill, do you want to jump into questions? Sure. All right. Uh, I put out a quick notice for rapid fire before we jump on. Uh, Checking the minute mark. We're good. We're solid. Uh, I'm going to throw these at you. (laughs) This is so depressing. We'll go ahead and start here. At Cuse End Zone asks, out of of Cuse, Syracuse, uh, BC and Wake, who has the best shot of eventually competing at the top of the ACC? Uh, I know my vote, but you you learn me up. Uh, none of them because they're in the wrong damn division, and divisions are stupid. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. They, I mean, they just are. How are they going to be better than Clemson, uh, Florida State, and then maybe Louisville all at the same time? Um, I like Cuse, but if you just take, I think, I think I like if you just take that question to mean which team has the highest upside moving forward, it's 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 serious. Yeah, definitely. I think. Definitely. Um, uh, BC just got a new athletic director. That's going to be super interesting. Um, now that job is a, is like an actual Adazio hot seat proper. Um, I can answer this one real fast. Daniel Powell asks, will I get to enjoy Chad Morris at SMU in 2018? I don't trust another coaching search. Um, is Texas A&M open? That's the short of, the, right. that's the short of it. Um, Texas A&M could entertain a really, really interesting search with Chad Morris and Larry Fedora. I don't know what you uh, yeah, get by true. swapping out someone for for Fedora. Morris is a little bit more intriguing because of his, um, the high school roots are so strong there. It's just it's unbelievable what they he may be able to replicate some of the things that uh, some of the energy that Herman brought in. But he's also a native son in a way that no other coach is. So um, is A and M open? If it is, I think he's gone. I think he, I think otherwise. I you know. Th- Morris is a deliberate man. He's a smart man, and he doesn't jump into problems. Like he's 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 pretty reserved. Um, 
I don't see him jumping to any job that's open. Right. So. Um, Bill, what can uh, <laughs> I like this Twitter name? <laughs> ASAP Rocky Top asks, what can Maryland do to compete with the rest of the Big Ten East? Uh, coach well, develop players. I, you know, they. I think they they showed this year they're not going to sign a top twenty class every year most likely, but. Uh, if they can kind of settle into a top 30, 35 recruiting uh, niche, so to speak, and if they if they develop guys to play at the top 20 level, they can compete with the rest of the Big East, or Big, Big, B1G East, I should say. Um, oh, and they're not going to win the Big Ten East. They're, they're clearly not, because at some point, uh, either Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan uh, will always be better than them. Uh, and I mean that's just odds. Basically, you can you can maybe pull off some sort of like if you can get to like a seven a three way tie at seven and two or something like that. Maybe you can sneak in that way. I don't know, but um, really, you know, and, and I mean everybody like I've I've done it a million times on this podcast. I don't really think of things in terms of competing with the rest of the division. Just be as good as you can be. And I think Maryland uh, could at the very least become a top thirty program uh, with Durkin. And so. Let's just start there. Let's just settle in to a nice top 20 to 35 uh, role overall and beat some teams because, you know, not because they're in your division, but because you're pretty good and therefore can beat some teams and, and see what happens after that. I, I, you're, not, you're not aiming to win the Big Ten East all of a sudden, just like you didn't win the, the ACC, whichever division you were in there. Um, just, just try to be good. Um, business insider story. Dated. Okay. Sorry, February nineteenth. Under Armour isn't cool anymore, according to a recent analyst. <laughs> uh, the next four graphs are about CEO Kevin Plank, obviously the the former Maryland football player, uh, talking about his his praising Donald Trump. But then you skip down. More important is there's quotes about using the phrase Generation Z. God, it makes me just want to slam my head into a mirror. Um, the issue dovetails with broader concerns about mistakes the company has made, which are contributing to slow growth. And Susquehanna, which I think is an analyst firm, uh, has cut the target price of the stock in half to $14. This comes after week fourth quarter earnings report where Under Armour's growth rate shrank dramatically and cut its annual forecast. Um, let me transpose that with this. I sat in the war room in Eugene, um, at 4 a.m. Pacific time with Taggart and those guys at Oregon. At about 6.45, I think, um, Phil Knight walked in with a entourage uh, from Portland. And you got uh, a quick idea of why Oregon is Oregon. You know, he... It's not like he pays the light bill there, but he... He handed them a, a, a structure and a branding and a marketing ethos and all this stuff that we thought when you saw Mar- – how many years ago was it, Bill, when they did the Maryland State flag helmet for the first time? We kind of saw them creeping towards that direction. Remember this? Yeah, it was, what, four? Probably four. They were going to be the Under Armour school. Then you know, then they go out and they got Auburn. They grabbed a couple other schools. Um, I remember when Tuberville went to Cincinnati, he switched their deal to um, – under Armour, I think he had, I think he was had some stock in the company or something, and I would hear about Under Armour, and we would hear about what Under Armour was going to be doing, like specifically for Maryland and turning that into a thing. It's not really a thing right now. Okay. None of that has anything to do I... with football, but it kind of does if you get what I'm saying. Because well, yeah, just the, the conceit of the question, 
is that what can Maryland do to compete in a division in which they probably shouldn't be in sort of goes back to the way Oregon was back in the early 90s. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly – I mean, from a – they're not paying their coaching staff like $38 million a year where they have to have that money, but facilities, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, they signed a top 20 recruiting class with an uncool brand, so maybe the brand in that regard isn't important at all, but just from a pure money-to-do-stuff standpoint, then that's obviously not going to help them. I don't know how much it's going to hurt them, but it's obviously not going to help them. Bill, if you could pick one G5 and turn them into a blue blood – which school do you pick, and how does it affect the landscape? That was uh, Brad Wilgus at B Wilgus. Uh, if I'm if I get to nominate somebody, let's go with ULM. But I don't think that would wow. probably be I, okay. Let's walk me down that path. Because you know they deserve to be treated like royalty. At the end. Okay. I went um, to um, I was in Monroe. I was in Monroe like ten days ago, and I went to um a, a like a super serious barbecue cook off. It was like a regional tournament to go to like the next one in Shreveport or something. I don't know. Um, and it was in the uh, tailgating area on the north side of the ULM football stadium. And man, there are high schools in Texas that have better spreads. Um, <laughs> you just want ULM to I, just sort of rise like a phoenix, or yeah, no, yeah. I mean, if if I'm to interpret the question as if I could choose somebody to make uh, a blue blood, uh, then I would I would deign to uh, you know I would I would tap them on the shoulder. But if we're talking about realistic, then no, it would have to be Houston. I mean, that's. They have the resources. They have the recruiting base. They, I think, they probably just missed their chance. Obviously, um, but in terms of potential, I don't see how it gets any bigger than Houston. Maybe you. I think I want maybe, maybe, maybe San Diego State. We were talking about San Diego yeah. State. Uh, Why not SMU? But, we go back like eighty style. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. I would say public versus private may help Houston a little bit there, but I mean, you can find obviously USC is not public, right? Um, so, so I mean, yeah, it's it, it would put them below Houston in my eyes, but it's certainly conceivable. They have money, um, they have Dallas in their back, uh, in, in surrounding them, and so yeah, I mean, you could make a case there if they hire their uh, Gary Patterson, whether that's um, Chad Morris or somebody else. Um, I guess if Chad Morris stays at SMU because uh, Kevin Sunland has turned everything around at, at A&M, although that, in that case he'd probably just end up in the NFL. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, they, they're on the list. Let's put it that way. Houston is at the top of my list. I'm still. personally mad about SMU because Brad Sutton is their AD of communications, their SID, um, very nice person. But feel, feel free to add him on Twitter because – he keeps telling me I can't get in the swag cop or not. They don't call it swag copter. They call it the pony something cop pony copter. So Chad Morris flies around Dallas in a freaking helicopter, and I have said I will sign whatever waiver needed to get on this helicopter with him. They're worried about insurance reasons, and I keep telling him, "Baby, don't worry about it. I got you." Also, I've already been in a helicopter for SB Nation when I was with the Tuscaloosa Police Department. I was in a helicopter Sorry. where the cop was the cop flying. It was literally like, hey, do you want to look directly down on the stadium? At Bryant Denny, this is like five hours before kickoff of the Iron Bowl. And he just like pushes the nozzle down. It's where like the helicopter is, the nose of it is dipping, which is cool for about three seconds. And then your body and your equilibrium, everything else, figure, like you realize what's going on. And then it's not cool. Um, put me in that helicopter, Brad. Come on. <sighs> yeah, Brad. Um. Uh, He's a very he's nice a, guy, yeah, by the way. Very nice human being. Um, Bill I'm scraping at the bottom. Uh, Braden Bill, Hodges. Uh, Bill, what directional Michigan school is going to have the better season? 
without having co- written about the Mac yet, I'm going to randomly say Central. Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, our at uh, Canes fan forty eight forty nine. What's a realistic expectation for Mark Richt at Miami going forward? Um, top fifteen caliber play, and because of the division they're in, uh, that means playing for the ACC title. And that, by the way, is why divisions are so freaking stupid. Uh, because it has to be a qualifier in stupid que- in, in questions. Uh, not stupid questions. I, I almost screwed up there. But in questions, it has to be a qualifier. And that's just dumb because it has nothing to do with geography. But anyway, Miami under Mark Richt with that offense, with Manny Diaz running the defense, with recruiting being at a top 15, 20 level, wherever they ended up, mm-hmm. they can absolutely play at a top t- 15 level. And they kind of did this year. Uh, you know, they, they were very much at that level. They lost three um, really, really close games, fell into a mini funk after the Florida State game, then rallied to play awesome down the stretch. Um, they could be, if they have a quarterback next year, and I, this is, again, I haven't written about them yet. I don't know for sure what to think about the quarterback situation, but if they were to stumble across a decent, uh, having a decent quarterback next year to replace Brad Kaya, they're a top 15 team next year. Okay. I'm not going to argue against any of that. I don't know if, the, if we can find a ceiling yet for him. I think you just need to win your division and win your conference one year. Yeah, I would say you know, if you're if you're top 15 enough, that and, and that means you're losing ACC title games, et cetera, et cetera, eventually Miami fans are going to get tired of that. Um, and they're going to get annoyed because we're not the you, blah, 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 blah. Well, they're blah, already blah. annoyed about that, um, but let's, let's uh, walk before we crawl. Before we break right, out exactly. into a, Before we break out into a sprint expecting things to be like they were – in you know eighty six. Right. You don't you don't go straight back to two thousand one. If you ever get back to two thousand one, it's not gonna be um in Mark Rick's second year in charge. Let's put it that way. No. I kinda just wish they would bring back Butch. And just everyone admits how wrong they were for e- for everyone not to be for for that <laughs> whole thing to have disappeared. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh Bill. It's almost time for the end of the show. We are going to tape probably early next week because Bill, myself, um, the uh, scruffy idiots that run Shutdown Fullcast, Dan Rubenstein, he counts, so from Solid Verbal. Any other podcasts being roped into this? Uh, I think that's it. We're all going to be at the College Football Summit, which is SB Nation's planning meetings for the 2017 season. We do it real early, y'all, because there's a lot of stuff to do. Um, we will be in New York City, sitting around in boardrooms. Um, I will be trying probably to resist drawing like penises on a whiteboard in hour three or hour four of this uh, slog. Then we'll go out and get drunk, and most of us will complain why we didn't do this in a warm weather city. I will definitely complain that we didn't do it in a warm weather city. Anyway, uh, yeah, New York. Um, so, Bill, we're going to record probably what? Do we decide on Monday? I think so. It might be like a late Monday goes up Tuesday kind of situation. We're not sure. Okay. So uh, with that in mind, we'll have a short turnaround. So we need to be propped up by your questions. I have no more time capsules to unearth. Um, Unfortunately, I can just say stupid. Well, you know, you didn't didn't see this one coming. You didn't see this one coming either. Maybe we said a bunch of random crap back on like uh, in April that we'll find here in a minute. (laughs) Just start digging through Gmail to find (laughs) podcast topics. Um, Who knows? Some news might break. We'll see. Um, Bill, you want to come back and do it again on Monday? Uh, That sounds like a great idea. Roll Tide.